Welcome, and thank you for joining us for today's CME podcast. PrimeMed podcasts are dedicated to providing on-the-go clinicians with pertinent, evidence-based primary care content that won't take too much time out of your busy schedule. Information about CME credits and faculty for today's podcast can be found within this activity's landing page on primemed.com slash podcast. That's pri-med.com slash podcasts. Be sure to also go to this location in order to claim your CME credits after the program. Thank you and enjoy. Hello and welcome to Understanding the 2020 Focus Updates to the Asthma Management Guidelines. PrimeMed and Learn More, Breathe Better, a program of the National Heart, Lung, and Blood Institute of the National Institute of Health, NHLBI, are partnered to provide primary care clinicians with information on the updates to the national guidelines for the diagnosis, management, and treatment of asthma. This is a two-part podcast series informing clinicians about the updated asthma guidance, highlighting important changes to the recommendations, and discussing how these changes can improve diagnosis, treatment, and management of patients with asthma. I'm Dr. Pamela Kushner, clinical professor at the University of California Irvine Medical Center and director of the Kushner Wellness Center in Los Alamitos, California, and I'm pleased to participate as the moderator for this episode addressing updates in the asthma guidelines, new recommendations, and how to implement them into practice. I'm thrilled to be joined today by Dr. Michelle Cloutier, the Chair of the National Asthma Education and Prevention Program Coordinating Committee Expert Panel Working Group, NAEPPCC. She is also Professor Emerita of UConn School of Medicine, Dr. Cloutier will review each of the six areas that were updated in the National Asthma Guidelines. She will discuss the new recommendations and she'll share how clinicians can turn the new information into practice. Welcome, Dr. Cloutier. Let's get started. Thank you very much, Dr. Kushner, for inviting me uh, and giving me this opportunity to talk about the new recommendations. The last guideline update was completed in 2007. And since then, there's been a tremendous explosion of new information, new knowledge, new research, um, and new insights into managing asthma. And the selected topics update uh, represents um, six topics that at the time were felt to um, best um, represent that new knowledge, meaning there was an explosion of new knowledge, particularly in those six areas at the time that the decision was made uh, to update those topics. Okay, and so there are three big topics that you wanted to focus on today that are most important for primary care clinicians. Could you dive into those, please? Certainly. Um, the three that I want to um, really talk about are uh, the use of inhaled corticosteroids, both as intermittent therapy and as sort of a new paradigm in how to, in how to use uh, that therapy with individuals who have moderate persistent disease. Um, use of long-acting muscarinic antagonists, which represents a new addition to the guidelines. These were not addressed. Uh, in 2007. And the update related to allergen reduction strategies. And 
um, uh, these were addressed in, in uh, great length in 2007, but are now updated and I'll say they're better refined, refined based upon new information upon Perfect. further study. So let's start with the inhaled corticosteroids. Why have these medications been used to treat asthma? Please tell me what effect do they have inside the areas? So um, back in, uh, in 1997, the, the second uh, expert panel report reported for the first time that asthma was defined or is defined as a chronic inflammatory disease of the airways. And it, it is through that definition, through understanding that pathophysiology, that anti-inflammatory therapy and particularly inhaled corticosteroids are now recommended. Um, uh, anti-inflammatory therapy dampens uh, the um, inflammatory response associated with asthma including the airway narrowing uh, that occurs, uh, the increased mucus production that's associated with asthma and the airway edema or swelling. And that's why inhaled corticosteroids in particular are, are important therapy for management of asthma. Thank you. So the focus updates include direct recommendations about the use of inhaled corticosteroids according to the age of the patient and the severity of the disease. Could you please explain what the new guidelines say about the inhaled corticosteroids and how this is going to differ from the previous guidance? In the area of inhaled corticosteroids, there are multiple new recommendations, and I'm going to um, talk about really uh, three of them those um, recommendations. The first uh, is in children who are zero to four years of age who wheeze only, and that's the operative word here, only with respiratory tract infections. And it is a recommendation for a short-term, meaning seven to 10 day course of inhaled corticosteroids in those children. It is, if you're familiar with the STEP therapy and use the STEP therapy, this is for step one therapy in children zero to four years of age. And the, again, the important aspect is that they wheeze only with respiratory tract infections. The second of the recommendations is for step two therapy. Step two therapy is mild persistent asthma. And it's for individuals four years and older and it's either daily low dose inhaled corticosteroid with a short acting bronchodilator as needed. That's what's currently recommended in EPR3 in the current guide, in the previous guidelines. Or, and this is what's new, intermittent concomitant low dose ICS and short acting bronchodilator. So on the one hand, you might decide to use a daily ICS and use short-acting bronchodilators as needed. That is the current uh, 2007 recommendation. And the new one is that alternatively, you could use uh, an ICS followed by a short-acting bronchodilator as needed and use that multiple times during the day if in fact you needed it. 
both are equally effective. And so uh, this is where one of the aspects of the new guidelines is particularly important. And that is the concept of shared decision-making. And that is the, the idea that clinicians and patients need to decide what therapy is, uh, is best for them to use. And the guidelines um, have many uh, recommendations that uh, could be an either or an or, or there's a preferred therapy or there are, are alternative therapies. And clinicians need to work with their patients to decide what's best for them. And the third one, I think, is what you're going to talk about next, which is smart therapy. And I'll ask you to ask that question if you want, or you want me just to dive in. Dive right in and explain smart therapy for us, please. Okay. So this is the third of the major changes. And this is what's called smart therapy. That's single maintenance and reliever therapy. It's for use in individuals who have moderate persistent asthma in steps three and four. So at the low end of moderate persistent and sort of at the high end of moderate persistent disease. And this therapy consists of, in step three, a low dose inhaled corticosteroid plus formoterol, preferably in a single inhaler, used both for daily therapy as well as rescue therapy. So those individuals, for example, might have a low dose ICS for moderol, one to two puffs, one to two times per day, that's sort of their daily therapy, plus ICS for moderol as needed. And it's up to a total of eight puffs per day for children and 12 puffs per day for adolescents and adults. And then in step for therapy, SMART is a medium dose ICS for moderol combination used for both daily therapy as well as as needed therapy. Now, this is the preferred treatment for steps three and four. There are alternative therapies um, that are pulled through from the previous recommendations. And the reason the recommendation is specifically for the use of formoterol is because formoterol, while it's a long-acting bronchodilator, it works rapidly and it can be used more than twice a day. And that's why other long-acting bronchodilators are not recommended uh, as part of SMART therapy. Excellent job of explaining that. Thank you so much. That's very practical information. So now can we go a little bit about the new guidelines recommendation about long-acting muscarinic antagonists or LAMAs? Because if you could explain what these medicines do and what the focus updates say about their use, I think that would be very useful for us. LAMAs are a class of drug known as anticholinergics. And they are bronchodilators. They operate differently than uh, long-acting bronchodilators or short-acting bronchodilators. And they um, have been used in a variety of different situations or diseases, including now chronic obstructive pulmonary disease. And more recently, um, people have looked at their use in the treatment of asthma. 
And the recommendation related to llama therapy, there are several, is the use of, uh, of llamas in step five therapy. So this is severe persistent asthma as an add-on to an inhaled corticosteroid long-acting bronchodilator combination therapy. So whether that's smart therapy that you've used in steps three and four, or you've used an alternative therapy in step four, for example, an ICS and some other type of LABA, the LAMA adds a small benefit for individuals who are not adequately controlled by an inhaled corticosteroid and long-acting bronchodilator. We need to be cautious, however, in using these medications in individuals who have urinary retention or glaucoma because they are anticholinergic drugs. Very useful, thank you. And now the indoor allergen mitigation. This is a key area of focus that surrounds the effectiveness of indoor allergen reduction in the management of asthma, very important. And what does the evidence show in regard to effective indoor allergen avoidance measures? Because we wanna know what is actually helpful. I think this is a very important aspect of the updated guidelines. And um, first of all, um, the guidelines do not address indoor exposures such as environmental tobacco smoke or outdoor allergen exposure, exposure or pollution. So we need to separate that and put that off to the side. What we're talking about are indoor allergens. So uh, things like dust, um, mold, uh, dander, uh, et cetera, um, pests. And um, the first thing that the, that the new update stresses, and it stresses throughout all of the recommendations, is that indoor allergen mitigation strategies should be used only in individuals who are exposed to a specific allergen and sensitized to that allergen or develop symptoms upon exposure to that allergen. So they are indicated not as part of standard or routine asthma care, but only in individuals who are both exposed and either sensitized or symptomatic upon exposure to that allergen. When used, allergen mitigation strategies should be multi-component. That is, they need to have multiple ways in or multiple interventions or strategies to address the offending uh, allergen, as well as being targeted to that specific allergen. And the recommendations are specifically uh, against as being not beneficial, um, single component uh, intervention strategies, such as dust mite impermeable pillow and mattress covers. The one exception to all of this was the use of integrated pest management, which um, the, the benefits of that from a, an asthma perspective appear to be small, but the expert panel was guided by the public health benefits 
of pest management and control in making its recommendation. The good thing about uh, allergen reduction strategies is that um, they really have no harm. Right? There is some patient burden, there is some costs, some ongoing costs, so one has to be aware of that. But by and large, there is no harm to these interventions, which is why there's even uh, the conditional recommendations uh, that were made. Could you say something about irritants? Because I don't see this as part of the guidelines, but I do get asked this question quite often. We, we have to be careful, uh, particularly in the area of environmental control. So strong smells, smells uh, are irritants and can irritate individuals who have asthma. This is now, uh, this is not addressed in the guidelines. We don't address um, irritant and irritant exposure. And so uh, I guess what I would say, and now I'm speaking not as a member of the guidelines, I'm speaking only as a clinician, and that is if an individual reports to you a, a trigger for symptoms, um, I think your our responsibility is to say, well, it may not be that that's an, it may not be this is an allergen, and it probably was not, that is an allergen elicits a specific IgE response, but it well could be an irritant. And irritants and management of irritants by um, avoiding the exposure would be important. But this is not this is not included in the guidelines. It's not discussed in the guidelines. Thank you so much, Dr. Coutier, for this very helpful overview of the 2020 new focus updates to the asthma management guidelines. Is there anything else you would like to add that may be beneficial to help clinicians as they begin to put these recommendations into practice? No, I think you've covered it all uh, quite well, Dr. Kushner. Thank you. For listeners who are interested in learning more about the 2020 focus updates to the asthma management guidelines, where can they find additional information? Uh, there are uh, uh, two sources for it. The first is the uh, December 2020 issue of the Journal of Allergy and Clinical Immunology. Uh, which has published the entire uh, guidelines. It is a free access, so you don't need a subscription to access uh, those guidelines. And the second is the um, NHLBI website, uh, which is at www.nhlbi.nih.gov slash asthma guidelines. Well, thank you so much. You are a natural and an excellent teacher. For this very informative overview of the updates to the asthma guidelines, new recommendations, and how to implement them into practice. I very much enjoyed this insightful discussion. If you happen to miss the first part of the series addressing how and why the asthma guidelines have changed, you can find it on primed.com. Thanks so much for joining us. We thank you again for joining Primed for today's podcast. Remember to claim your CME credits for the program on this activity's landing page on primed.com slash podcast. That's pri-med.com slash podcasts. Also, be sure to check out all of our other podcasts and primary care activities on primed.com as well. See you next time.